you're listening to The Take with Drew Malone. So we're just experiencing probably one of the most wild elections in American history. The growing threat of instability is coming along with uh, disputed uh, uh, elections, uh, calls of fraud, calls of ballot stuffing, calls of electioneering on both sides with both Democrats accusing Trump of doing electioneering, such as in Texas, where they were talking about limiting the number of drop-off balloting areas and uh, problems with U.S. Postal Service. And on the other side, with uh, dumping ballots at the last minute and uh, adding and and accepting uh, non-registered voters to vote. So it's a crazy and divisive uh, period of time right now. And it is a hotly contested election. And when we get to the end of this, will we be wondering, uh, depending on who, even who wins, you know, will there be significant questions of legitimacy, as in, was the uh, election legitimate? And, uh, I mean, we've already seen over the last few years the real consequences in, uh, in division of uh, questions of whether a election was legitimate. I mean, look back to the 2016 election when uh, basically the Democrats refused to accept the outcome of the 2016 election and for months and months and months went into ever-increasing investigations into uh, calls of Russian interference. And by the end of it, the the investigation didn't find too much that damned a Trump campaign of collaborating with a different country to swing an election his way. But anyways, the, the instability of the whole thing really caused many, many, many problems. And it looks like we're setting up for an even more intense one right now. Right now, the hot spots are Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Oh my. And it is an oh my because there are, it is so close, especially in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, that it could decide the outcome of the election if indeed there was electioneering and there was fraud, voter fraud going on. Calls of voter fraud have been called by the president himself, not just his base. They have been called in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, uh, disputably in Georgia and Nevada. And we face face a growing uh, time of instability at this time. As uh, while Biden may... And he, uh, this afternoon, he kind of uh, unofficially declared victory. We may have a ongoing litigation over the next few months into uh, the new year. This is by far not over. And it won't be over for some time. But essentially, what is going on right now is you have a party claiming that a significant 
enough election fraud and electioneering occurred as to change the outcome of the whole election, being that Michigan and Wisconsin are swing states. Now, in this case, I would say, in any case where someone would make a claim such as election fraud, especially in favor of a another an opposing candidate, I'd say the burden of proof is definitely, definitely on the Trump campaign. That if one is going to make that claim, they need to come out with very, very difficult to refute evidence of electioneering. Not just hearsay, not just some some pictures posted on the internet by the president's son, but something very solid and, and a uh, way to make a case to the American people that if indeed you were correct, the Biden campaign conspired to essentially swing the election in his favor. And, of course, this burden of proof is so much on the president right now. The president doesn't need to convince his base of election fraud. They already believe that. And they could be right. They could be wrong. I'm not here to speculate on that. But who he needs to convince is the uh, middle ground voters, the voters that sit right right in, uh, you know, in between Trump and Biden, who, uh, the swing vote, he needs to convince them that it's true. And he needs to convince them that that uh, the Biden campaign was trying to take away their democratically elected right. And I'm not saying, I'm not speculating whether this is true or false at this time. I think speculation is pointless unless you have good, solid, hard evidence of that would suggest electioneering. But at this time, I see it as the president's base already believes what he says. The middle ground voter is skeptical and they want to know more. And the people that were hard blue Biden are won't probably accept that answer, even if the president were to present uh, damning evidence of that. So we need to be careful. We need to be very, very careful in the way that we proceed with this. And I'll go into more of this when I talk about the short-term, the Republican short-term response to this election as it sits now the day after Election Day. But right now, these are hotly contested states, and it, the ball is in the court of the president and his campaign. Now, we're going to switch it up a little bit and talk about what actually happened in the election. Well, Republicans had some pretty big uh, victories in this last elect, in this recent election yesterday. One of the big, big, big wins for the Republicans was the contested state of Florida. And it seemed as though uh, Trump was going to win the, the state outright. And the people that wouldn't prefer Trump to uh, win that state kind of slowed it down. They didn't want to admit he won, but he won. And uh, this actually has a lot to do with um, a lot of claims are being made from evidence from exit polling 
that um, this came largely because of a growing conservative movement in Miami-Dade County among uh, Cuban Americans, among uh, uh, Hispanic and Latino Americans, that that seemed to that seems to point to a growing coalition of uh, minority voices in favor of uh, conservative causes, which is a uh, very exciting prospect for the future of the Republican Party, because it, it has always been sort of a, a given that that the Democratic Party would be the party of that would represent minorities, but this doesn't seem to be the that seems to be a growing trend of change going on. And this is largely epitomized by what's going on in Florida. I, I, I saw videos last night of uh, Cuban Americans partying in the streets when uh, Florida went, went red. And I think this is, this is part of a, a small piece of evidence of, of this, or actually it's a large piece of evidence in favor of, of, this, uh, of this change and the fact that um, early exit polling is, is showing that uh, African Americans at least as far as we know, have uh, almost doubled their, their support of the Republican Party since the last election. They, uh, Hispanic Americans have significantly uh, increased their support. I, one uh, poll was showing uh, one out of three, about 35% in uh, overall, according to exit polling, voted for Donald Trump. So things are, things are turning around. And there, for Republicans, there is reason to be hopeful, even if they don't take th- win this battle. Even if Biden wins the presidency, we need to have sort of uh, long-term thinking here. Long-term thinking. On the other side, the kind of discouraging side would be looking at a case like Arizona a state that Trump won well in hand last time in 2016. And he seems very, very much, other than some last-minute uh, speculation that he might come back, he seems very much to have lost Arizona. And it's it's not immediately clear of why that is. But uh, there is a, a lot of speculation, and I think it's, I think it's fair speculation that it could have something to do with Trump himself. It could have something to do with the kind of ongoing feud that the president had with um, Senator John McCain and the the kind of uh, nasty rhetoric that came out uh, from from Trump, the kind of uh, bitter rhetoric that came out from Trump. And that even after McCain's death, McCain, a long, uh, a long traditional statesman of the United States it, from uh, Arizona, and he died, and Trump uh, made a big deal about how, how he wasn't planning on going to the man's funeral. And it, it was this sort of petty incident and I don't know I don't I'm not a uh, I'm not a voter in Arizona but I don't know if 
if such things were a, a very good move, a very good PR move, or at least on on the most base level, or even a very good personal move on any other level. And this is one of the problems I have against candidate Trump. It's not that his ideas are bad. I think he has some very, very good ideas, and uh, I'll be getting into that, of course, uh, a little bit later about some of his successes. But I think Arizona, in a lot of ways, epitomizes the failures of the candidate Trump in that his personality is so so controversial and so uh, aggressive that he tends to turn people off. He turns people off who would ra- who in would in some cases definitely vote Republican. I I don't I don't favor that. I I don't favor that. I, I think um, if you want to try to act as a counterweight against growing extremism in the de- Democratic and uh, Progressive parties, then you must be a uh, buoyancy and buoy of moderation. And you, you must not only embody that in your policies, but also in your personality. People need to know and understand that, that things are going to be all right, that things are going to have stability. And I realize and recognize that that doesn't come out well with the media, and there is a lot of uh, uh, photoshopping of Trump, as it were, uh, uh, narrative photoshopping to make Trump look very, very bad and like a crazy man. But he brings some of it on himself. On himself, I have to, I have to acknowledge that that he could do a lot more. He could do much better. Uh, a big case, I would argue with this is has been his response to the coronavirus and i think if if anything to blame if the uh calls of election fraud are unproven if anything is to blame it would be his response to the covid-19 outbreak and not to say i think the response of the federal government was an absolute failure because I think there were some successes in many ways, but the tone with which you approach something is sometimes even more important than the policy that you approach something with. The tone of the president throughout this whole thing should have been a, a real recognition of the danger and um, deadliness of this pandemic a recognition of the danger and deadliness of this pandemic, but in a way that tempers it with the knowledge that uh, we have to weigh the good of things like the economy with the the bad of uh, potential restrictions. What he should have suggested, I think, and 
did in some some ways suggest that we need moderation in our approach. We should be somewhere between all the way open with no restrictions and California. Some degree of reasonability where people can go, oh, well, I still have the ability and the freedom to go do many, many things, but just I'm wearing a mask or I'm I'm doing this. Set the stage for a national policy that comes out and, and contrast yourself, contrast yourself. In this case, sit on the fence. Don't be, don't be a Gavin Newsom that literally wants to shut down everything that says shut down your churches, shut down everything. But be a guy that says, hey, go to church and wear a mask. I mean, easy. Do some social distancing at church. Don't pack your church. Easy, simple things that show shows he is a candidate of moderation. Frankly, I believe that Trump's essential weakness is that he gives the media too much cannon fodder. He gives Joe Biden too much cannon fodder on him by being uh, inconsistent, even in the response to his campaign, e- even in the response to, to the virus. You know, he would be, on one hand, on one day, advocating for a, you know, uh, restrictions, you know, and he'd be putting Fauci out there, and Fauci would be saying these things. And then the next day, you know, he would, you know, be saying liberate Michigan and liberate all these places. Really these sort of unclear signs. What do you want your policy to be, President Trump? What are you encouraging the American people to do? And that kind of instability is poison to a campaign. It is poison, but I mean, it's not like it was a blowout. It was. It's not a blowout in in any any respect. And and this is really my criticism of the president. I don't happen to like the personality of the president, but I recognize and realize that I don't hate him. In that, I see everything he does as bad. I, I can see he has succeeded excellently where other Republicans and Democrats have failed in the past, especially looking at uh, energy policy, energy independence, uh, foreign policy, the economics in the United States, taxes. But I see this as a clear and obvious flaw in the president's strategy. And I think, unfortunately, it goes deep deeply into his into his own personality in that he has a firebrand personality that doesn't hold back punches but sometimes holding punches and being strategic is much better than than duking it out i think it's 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 a uh, sort of strategy of uh of a fighter to know when to to know when to throw your punches and to know when to hold back. It's a strategy to know when to walk away and to know when to hit hard. Because if you're always hitting hard, then each each hit doesn't matter as much. You need your, your hits to come at key times. And honestly, I feel like his hits come at key times, but other times 
He goes for the punch, but it just misses fantastically. And this particular time where he has accused the Joe Biden campaign of election fraud, this punch needs to land or he's dead. This is a big one. This is a big one. And he needs to get this right. But, as I said, there is hope for the future. That last section, of course, was kind of the Trump, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Trump has essentially done, I think, very, very positive things for the Republican Party. I don't deny that at all. I think he has done extremely positive things for the Republican Party, forming them into something that is much, much preferable to what they were before. I, I felt... I was quite a bit younger then, so I don't know the intricate details of it. But essentially, when uh, in both the McCain election and the Mitt Romney election, 2008-2012, respectively, I think the... Republican Party did not have much appeal to anyone outside their base, sort of a a white male uh, base. And I don't think they had much excitement about what they were offering. Contrasted that with uh, the response to uh, Barack Obama's election in 2008, there was extreme excitement about what was going on in the candidate of Obama and the fact that he seemed dynamic and he was a good speaker and he offered a hope and a future. And the thing about a any candidate that represents a, a party is that they should put forth a vision of the future that is inspiring and people want to be a part of. And in 2016, the candidate Trump did that sufficiently to get a large amount enough of the vote and the electorate in order to be elected president. He proposed more of a uh, national policy rather than a growing international lean. He proposed... Uh, reducing our involvement overseas militarily. He proposed energy independence. He proposed an America first trade policy. And this was very appealing to the people that felt uh, largely that globalism was something that was taking advantage of Americans, something that was that we were losing our standing in the world, losing our sort of uh, uh, national integrity and Donald Trump found that niche and found a way to turn that into policy and has reflected a policy of of doing so and there has been built up a significant momentum there has been during the Trump campaign a rejection of the uh one of the foundations of the Democratic Party, except essentially the uh, idea of identity politics. And by identity 
politics, I mean that people should identify their own political views and their own uh, paradigms of their identity with their uh, ethnicity and race or their gender or their sexual orientation. And it, 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 it's sort of the, he kind of casts it as, as something that rejects the idea of the individual. And it, I mean, this, this comes down to, you know, at its most basic level, the, uh, the big paradigm difference between the Democrat and Republican parties is the um, Rep- uh, Republican Party has always been a party more of uh, uh, individual freedoms and responsibilities, while the Democratic Party favors more of a collectivist view of the world. And I think this, uh, this, you know, once sort of uh, subtle difference has been highlighted more and more in the last four years. So it has been a rejection of everything that uh, largely had the philosophy of uh, the Obama years, a heavy pushback against that. And not only a pushback, but a vocal pushback. And I wonder, honestly, in my own mind, do we need less of the vocal and more of the pushback? Less of the yelling, yes, less of the screaming, more a logically derived and and thoughtful appeal to the individual. And less of random tweets and more of intricate tweets that, that get, or intricate discussion and forums that get into the nitty-gritty, get into having people examine why they vote the way they vote, not just this back and forth, not just turning people off because you're so controversial. The fact is, I think if Trump were less controversial, this would have been a landslide because there are so many people out there that made a concerted effort to vote Biden not because they have an out and out rejection of Trump policies, but because they hate the man so much. And do we really need to have a candidate that is hated so much because of their personality that people were willing to ignore the 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 radical policies of the other candidate because of that? That's just that's just unacceptable. So I don't know if, you know, this might be not good at all, but uh, let's take the good and leave behind the bad. I say, you know, if Trump loses this election, I'm sorry, but it's time to move on to somebody else. It's time to move on. It's time to find the next uh, dynamic Republican to take the lead in the party. Maybe this looks like a, a Dan Crenshaw 
or maybe this looks like uh, electing Ted Cruz, but I, I think it's it's time to move on. Uh, I think if one were to try again to uh, put Donald Trump up there, one would be a concern about four years from now, his, his relative age. And, uh, I mean, another concern is just his tendency to be a firebrand. Perhaps what we need is someone that will be a good steward. And uh, I don't see a problem with this being uh, uh, Mike Pence either. I think Mike Pence would be an excellent candidate for president of the United States. Someone to take the lead, someone to uh, guide the party. And I think, honestly, if, if I had my choice, it would be Mike Pence leading the party because I feel he's a man that knows when to fight, knows when to hold back, and knows when knows how to land some devastating punches. And I think we saw this excellently, excellently in the uh, uh, vice presidential debate where he dismantled um, Kamala Harris. But the Republican Party must be recast again as a party of, uh, of, of moderation in personality and moderation in policy, not, not, uh, compromise in policy, not, not the Bush, I'll, I'll give you everything you want, you know, sort of rhino Republican in name only policy, but, but something that's, that's dynamic, but not so boisterous that it turns people off, but something that invites them to a, uh, higher order, some, a party that people can truly be proud of and people of all experiences and backgrounds can be proud of. And I think we've, we've started to build that in, again, in the reflections upon uh, the growth in, in minorities and that there is essentially slowly, but surely a growing coalition of minority voters in the Republican party that uh, is significantly growing. Uh, just look at, I, I believe it was 55% of Cubans voted for Donald Trump over uh, Joe Biden. Now imagine if we could do this with moderation, call them in and, and, and propose a good, moderate, uh, pro-business policies that appeal to to the growth and prosperity of uh, minorities. And I think I'm hopeful because I believe that the, the future is bright. I believe that in this case, we might lose the battle against Joe Biden and the, the radical Democrats. But I, I do believe that uh, we're winning the war because I think the Republicans offer a much better product one and two, I believe that the Democrats and their philosophy of uh, essential, essentially looking at things through a, a Marxist point of view, essentially that that there is this sort of inherent uh, oppressive status in the United States and violence and radical action needs to be taken to fix that is is largely 
I mean, by looking at the election results, is being very much uh, rejected by a lot of the country. And this brings out hope because I, I largely feel like the, the way the Democratic Party is trending and has been trending is unsustainable over time. Perhaps it is sustainable because there is this huge aversion to Trump but getting a candidate in there that is less averse but still offering the same kind of dynamic action forward is is a prospect that I think uh, works very strongly in Republican Party favors. So I think in this time, if we end up losing, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world because in four years... We need to be ready to fight again. We need to be on the ground over the next four years, making the appeal in the cities, in the country, all over the United States, and especially in the swing states. We need to be making appeal to a broad coalition group of people that essentially uh, conservatism has something good to offer, good to offer. And we need to continue and double down on the effort to swing votes in the favor of uh, the Republican Party because, and argue essentially that, that we offer something much, much better in their favor. So, if you feel like very sad because Trump might not win, don't. Because this is a time, I think, where we may take a loss now, but we have to play what uh, Simon Sinek calls the infinite game. Especially, not so much focusing on the here and now, but understanding that if we take er certain actions in certain ways, in ways expecting adversity, but also expecting growth, then we need to take actions for f- four years from now, for the future, for the for the midterms coming up in two years. We need to take action now at a, and at this point to be ready for then. But we need to be careful now at the same time too. We can't let let tensions flare to a point where we where the base that Trump has is so angry about things that the media uses it to essentially skewer the whole thing that this party has stood for the last four years. We can't let a loss so much affect us that we no longer have the principles to be able to to face things. We no longer take the high road anymore. We must fight back against uh, fraud if there is such a thing, but we also must acknowledge that we need to take the high road in things. Because people will be watching how we react to this. People will be watching, and people will judge us based on how we react. And I just hope we react in the right way. This has been Drew Malone with The Take.